Good morning and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Richard West, who's a partner at Kennedy's, man of many titles as well. Um, so, Richard, well, thank you for welcoming me to your amazing office as well. Um, but as is customary on the Leadership Insurance Podcast, it's, it's always better if the guests introduce themselves and their role, um, particularly when they have as many titles as you. So, over to you, sir. Thank you, Alex, for that great introduction. I'm Richard West. I'm a partner at Kennedy's. Kennedy's is, I would say, the world's biggest, best global insurance legal services provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roles, um, I'm a lawyer, practicing lawyer. I look after my clients' most complex cases. I also lead Kennedy's global practice group for liability defense. But today, for today's performance, I am wearing... <laughs> my badge for Head of Client Innovation at Kennedy's. Yes. Yeah. And, and I wanted to dig into that. And it was a bit unfair, but I, I did preface this just before we hit record. But um, I really want to know what that means, because I think the client innovation is the interesting bit. It, it, it suggests external innovation and not just looking internally. Is, is that accurate? Or how do you define it within the context of the Kennedy's role? Yeah, it's very deliberate. Yeah. We began to innovate for our clients we recognized also that our business was innovating, mm-hmm. transforming itself internally. So we needed to differentiate, needed to, to, to explain the difference between the excellent work that's done within the business for transforming its processes and its structures with a determinedly client focus. Mm-hmm. So the innovation team, the client innovation teams are only allowed to work on software and services and product for our clients and their customers. Mm-hmm. So it's focused very much on external solutions. And is the culmination of that the, the specifically the Kennedy's IQ business, or is it is it broader than that? Yeah, much broader. Mm. We broadly, the client innovation group falls into two halves. And the first half is our intellectual innovation group. These are our superstars in thought leadership, identifying emerging risks for clients, horizon scanning, helping clients to look around corners, and as the head of our intellectual innovation group, Deborah Newbury would say helping to offer insights and create more certainty in an increasingly uncertain world for our clients. Mm. In many ways, it's the bedrock of everything because insurance, once upon a time, was an intellectual innovation. All of our ideas flow from that concept. On the technology innovation side, the other half of that group, we have within that group our research and development team, rapid prototyping development team based offshore in Kerala in India, as well as data scientists and other developers helping to identify new ideas for clients, ideating with them, drawing ideas from our business, building a pipeline of new projects and new thinking, working very closely with the intellectual innovation group. And then Kennedy's IQ is at the pointy end. When we're able to create product that we can monetize, that we sell by way of software or services, which is what IQ is, it's a software and services business, separate business, then we drive that through Kennedy's IQ. Kennedy's IQ was started in February 2020 as a separate business to the LLP, but is part of the Kennedy's family. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, why do you think that's important? Because, you know, you are one of the biggest, you said the best, I'm not going to argue that, um, you know, law firms that, that, that concentrates on the insurance sector. Why is it important that you look externally f- on your client's behalf from an innovation perspective? It's been a, it's been an interesting journey for us. We've, we've, we've definitely built and evolved our thinking over the last 15 years. 15 years ago, we developed the very first concept of an expert 
based workflow for a client to solve a particular legal problem where they use that workflow instead of using a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And we've developed that thinking from there to a, a, a kind of a core understanding of that lawyers are a distress purchase, that, that clients don't really want to spend time with lawyers, charming though we are, entertaining though we can be, they recognize that they turn to us at moments of crisis to solve problems. Now, if we, if we understand that the lawyer isn't the solution, solving the problem is the solution, then we can develop new ways, modern ways of, of producing that outcome for a client that doesn't always involve doesn't always involve a human being mm. as a lawyer doing that work. So mm. we've developed that through. So we we help out. We have some core principles helping our clients to use lawyers less, helping our clients to use lawyers smarter. And many of our products that we've developed through IQ help our clients to make or save money as well. Mm. I think it's really interesting culturally because you know, as you're saying that you're a service provider to the industry. Obviously, I'm sitting here from my perspective thinking. You know, we sit in a similar position. Obviously, we do different things. I'm a search firm exclusively service the insurance and insure tech industry. And a lot of people would say you sort of, you're innovating yourself out of, out of revenue. Um, obviously, you don't share that view because otherwise it wouldn't be in practice. But what does that say about the culture of, of the business and the Kennedy's business? And um, yeah, how do you embody that culture internally to sort of support that? Because I imagine there was pushback at inception. Oh, um, if I'm being kind, they were perplexed. <laughs> if I'm being honest, they thought I was insane. Coming to a board, I was part of the board, part, coming to the board and, and, and offering a solution that, that suggested that clients had become overly dependent on lawyers within the insurance sector mm. and that a more modern solution was to help clients to become more self-sufficient, mm-hmm. less reliant on their lawyers. Of course, there was this idea of cannibalization that, that worried a lot of people, still does, I think, in our sure. industry. So um, because we were the first to market, the first adopters of this idea of helping clients to use lawyers smarter and producing products that engineered human lawyers out of the, the solution that clients were using first, we, we definitely saw a reduction on certain client accounts in, in revenue. Mm-hmm. But those partners in those early days who were the earliest adopters quadrupled their market share by by winning even more business by demonstrating the savings those clients had made from the off. And so that has continued. We've grown significantly and taken far more market share because we're recognized as the most innovative law firm in our space. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we win work both within the LLP in traditional legal services terms and through IQ as well, and are generating significant direct revenue for software and services that way too. Yeah. It's really interesting because I think you you you're just getting ahead of that curve, and I, I always think about early adopters because early adopters, if you don't innovate for them, are going to leave you anyway. For the people that do, for sure, um, they're the first buyers of new technology. They're always looking at ways to be better and smarter. So you either offer it to them or you accept that you will probably lose those people over time. Um, I want to talk to about. Um, Kenny's IQ, it brings a really, I think you've just got such a unique perspective on insurtech innovation. And obviously, we're focused on insurtech on, on the podcast, or certainly in insurance innovation. Mm-hmm. Let's start with your like, role in the insurtech. What, what role does Kennedy's and, 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 and your team play in the insurtech ecosystem? Mm. Well, within the technology side, so, so if I leave the intellectual innovation side um, to one side for a moment, on the technology side, 
we learned very quickly that it was about listening to clients. The very first product that we built, we offered a client the solution we thought they wanted, and they radically changed it. Yeah. So we learned very quickly, 15 years ago, mm. that we have to ideate alongside clients. Some of our very best products have been built alongside clients who have um, invested their time, their people alongside us because of our relationship and our reputation. So, so being in the market, being trusted, I, I, I think the, the global pedigree of the LLP can't be underestimated in this sense. If we were, if we were in inverted commas, just a legal tech, insure tech startup, we'd lack the heft, the, the reputation that we, we otherwise have because of the, the, the two and a half thousand people around the world in the LLP who mm. produce excellent legal services all of the time. So insurers gain confidence from that and the customers gain confidence from that. So we can ideate with them, they trust us. Um, and then we've also uh, sought grants from Innovate UK. Obviously, as you know, they're competitive bids. We've gained finance from the government to build InsureTech and legal tech um, for the benefit of our economy. Uh, and that's been hugely successful too. So we're definitely now in the space, not just of legal services and technology, but we are definitely building InsureTech as well. I was just thinking with my sort of headhunter search hat on there as well, though, that, that there's, I don't want to use the word culture again, but I think, I think is there a different profile of people that you have to, you had to bring into the business mm. post that decision because if we're thinking about that, just that situation where you're going in and asking customers what they need, it's, it's, it's a different question set because normally you're going in as the experts. You know, you're turning up as, as the legal services provider saying, right, you know the situation and then you're providing all the answers straight away whereas it's kind of, it's literally switching that on its head and going, we don't know anything, please tell us what we need to build. Well, not we don't know anything, but you know, almost, I think good innovation starts with that. Let's assume we know nothing and ask our customers. What's that meant about kind of hiring new people into the business? It's been one of the most exciting parts mm. of what we've done. So, so I've mentioned Deborah, who leads the intellectual innovation team, lawyer by trade, clinical negligence practitioner, superb writer and superb thinker. Mm-hmm. Karim, who leads the technology innovation, not a lawyer, hasn't been a legal practice, comes from an academic and a technology background mm. um, and uh, has brought a completely new perspective to how we've structured our product. So when he arrived, we had four or five exciting but diverse products, none of which spoke to each other. Right. We He built a platform, the IQ platform, which is highly configurable. We can deploy it globally. That was his thinking. Under his guidance, we've brought data science teams in who'd have thought that 30 years ago when I yeah. first dipped a toe in the water of this profession. Um, and uh, rapid developers, we now have 95 people who are client innovation focused within Kennedy's, which which it shows the commitment from the board, shows the commitment from our partners. Um, it is very diff- Now we've had to build different career paths as well because they don't understand, um, nor should they tolerate the traditional legal services promotion curve. Um, and it was a key reason, one of the key reasons we started Kennedy's IQ was so that we could incentivize and we could we could recruit different people in more exciting jobs. And the solutions that have been created are really at the interface of the interfacing of the lawyers and the expertise and the technologists side by side alongside our clients. That's what's driven the success. I, I had some questions down here, but I think I think we've covered them because it was like I was talking about is, is innovation purely technical? Clearly not. You, you've got two strands of the business alone. One is 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 thought leadership. But do you think we 
lean, when we talk about um, innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it's, I understand why people think of innovation in technology terms. It's the kind of the most sexy mm. current way of describing things. And, and GPT, of course, is, is right across the press at the moment. Of course. A disaster for some lawyers yeah. and an, a yeah. huge advantage for some others. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it, innovation should be about the creation of a, an entirely new product or service that is meaningful for clients, that is valued by them. Now, that doesn't have to be technology. One of the, one of the earliest and most successful long-running innovations that we had was to create our claims handling guide, which is, it has been now digitized, but it was a paper version 23 years ago and was seen as innovative at its time. It was a big differentiator for us. And, mm. and we've developed that thinking all the way through new product or new service, new, not adjusted, <clears throat> that offers clients a meaningful value. Mm. Sometimes it's, um, it's those small things. I, I, the innovation story I always think about, um, and this is why the cultural kind of innovation needs to be spread across the business. So I'm kind of interested to know whether it's bled into um, the hiring of, of the types of people you bring into your law program now. You know, has it become part of the question set to talk about innovation as part of you know, hiring graduates on, on the law side? We were the first law firm to bring in the apprentice program two years before the government began to um, develop that. Uh, and so we've had 18-year-olds within Kennedy's building their legal careers for a little bit longer than most of the industry. And that has had an impact, the way they think, the way they respond, what they demand. These, are, these allow us to think in innovative ways. Within our business, we, we run... We run a big global competition called the Ideas Lab, where we draw out uh, the very best ideas from our people, regardless of who they are, mm -hmm. regardless of where they are globally. We encourage them, we set tasks, we encourage, and then we reward and we finance and we develop products and we prototype for them. And then if they're successful, and the last two um, most successful competition winners, one moved from the LLP as a senior lawyer into Kennedy's IQ and is now one of our product development uh, managers. Um, and the other um, winner has just been promoted to a part as partner within the LLP and a key part of her partnership submission was look at the work I've done successfully within the innovation space. So yeah, it's, it's beginning to build culture. I would say this though, that, that um, one, of the, one of the learning points for, for me was to recognize I'll never persuade everybody. And I don't think mm. if you're doing this in a business and you're trying to persuade absolutely everybody, it will never happen. Right. There will always be those who, who won't accept the, the idea of change in quite such a radical way. And, and um, I'd make two points on that. First of all, I think you have to recognize that, that you can't win them round. But secondly, I think they also need to have a voice within the room while you're developing ideas because they do have a valuable viewpoint. Mm. And it's, 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 highly valuable for the business as a whole to understand what that viewpoint is mm -hmm. and to work with it. Yeah, there's some great takeaways there, I think, because one of the reasons I was so interested to have this conversation was that you'll talk about innovation in, a, in an industry which is not necessarily known for being particularly innovative. In fact, there are good reasons why they might fight against innovation. And I think that echoes the industry that we both serve, the insurance industry as well. There's a, there's a lot of good reasons to keep things as they are. Um, some of them are cultural, some of them are financial. Um, 
but, but what's great is, you know, it's like when we talk about DEI and inclusion and, and, and we talk about, you know, hiring in the right way, what you need to see is people that have actually been successful and had a career path um, who would be termed as diverse. What you've done with innovation is, is that you've given a platform for people to put ideas forward and off the back of those ideas, they've also progressed their careers. So you can point as evidence to say, look, it matters. And, and also we're listening. Um, and I think that's where there's an opportunity lost in a lot of industries. Because, yeah, I, I, I've got these two anecdotal stories that I always love to tell, which is one, one of my former partners worked at one of the leading kind of promotional PR firms, and they were given the task of this new car launch. Um, and the idea ended up coming from the lady that worked on reception, because they just used to have all hands, what's the best idea? And, and the, the tech spec said, this car can pull a Boeing 747. And she just at the back of the room was like, well, why don't we film it pulling a 747? And they did it. It was one of the best campaigns they've ever Fabulous. run. And then the famous story of the of the the match uh, the matchmakers where the strike plate was on both sides. And they said, well, any innovation ideas? And I'm like, well, do you need it on both sides? And it obviously saved them a huge amount of money. So it's that thing of innovation can come from anywhere, but you only really encourage it if you can give evidence that it's rewarded. Well, I think also your first story, which is X, demonstrates the the need for diversity of thought exactly. so so professional neurodiversity and if you can create a really diverse range of experiences and backgrounds and study and and professional um, experience outside of the legal services and you put all of that together you're bound to create new ideas mm. i work with extraordinarily bright people some with two phds in computer science and maths and and um, data science but, but many, many PhDs that within the legal business we don't see at all. Sure. And those ideas are massively exciting because, of course, innovation so often is generated around the periphery. It's not that mm. let's all go for a blue sky walk over the hills or, <laughs> or get a whiteboard out. It yeah. generally comes from conversations which happen between groups that are not aligned. Mm. Well, you need people to be unaligned in order to come up with some of the best thinking and some of the most innovative thought mm. which which goes back to your earlier point doesn't it that you need those dissenting voices in the room you know you want these people that are resistant to change because there's a reason why they are and it's not just cultural you know sometimes it is but it there may be a very good reason that they're against an idea um or it gives you a challenge and, and i think challenge for innovation is really important because the restraint uh, restraint drives creativity um, and particularly when we're talking about regulated markets, you know, we, we have to be careful with innovation. But I often think that regulation is an opportunity because um, we're too busy with it. We, we like doing two things. One, which is to moan about the lack of investment in sectors. Um, this is particularly sort of insure tech startups. And the second thing is to moan about regulation. And to a certain extent, I'm like, well, that's the opportunity to be creative. And that's not to say we shouldn't have creative regulators as well. But The regulator is going to have to move fast, though, yes. because... I mentioned um, GPT earlier. The the challenge for any profession, let me de de lawyer this for a moment. Any profession is that we've we've had this history of well, really we we deliver two we we perform two functions and have done for a long time. One is we retain loads of knowledge and experience and information um, and build that wisdom. And then, of course, the internet happened, and a lot of that's accessible straight away. Sure. But we then all relied, as a professions, we all relied on the fact that, well, you know, that, that's fine, but a layperson um, trawling the web to identify the right facts or the right answers is fraught with difficulty, and we all have felt that. 
mm. by looking up medical symptoms on Google yeah. uh, ourselves. It's, yeah. it's a dangerous game. So, so we took some comfort. And then, of course, the idea of pre-trained transformers that are generative hoved into view and answers began to appear to big data sets, which appeared to be wise and experienced. <clears throat> the difficulty, I think, for any profession now is how that will develop because mm. it won't slow down. It can only get faster. Sure. And how will regulators respond to that? And the big problem for the professions at the moment, and maybe this is where some people will use as a shield, is that the GPT model is a black box. There's no way of interrogating their answers. Mm -hmm. There's no way of asking them to give you the truth, as a lawyer in New York discovered a few weeks ago. He was given some false precedent to rely on in a case, thought it was too good to be true, asked the GPT model that he was using whether it was in fact accurate, and the answer was given by the system, yes, it's absolutely accurate. It wasn't at all, and he's found himself in some difficulty. So that black box solution at the moment is a problem because yeah. there's no way of understanding how an answer is reached. Kennedy's and others, I have no doubt, are looking at white box models where the, the, the answer can be interrogated. And if a client or a regulator or a customer or a client who is regulated needs to understand how that answer is created, then the system can do that for them. Mm. AI must produce must be a very serious threat to the legal sector, one would imagine, for, I know we've touched on it there, but already we're seeing people try and use it. Do, do, do you see it as a, a huge threat to a lot of work that lawyers do? Or, I mean, not just necessarily insurance specific, but, but generally in the legal profession. Um, threat, opportunity. I think that the it, things are going to change quite quickly yeah. for the reasons I've, I've just set out. I think that yeah. the ability to understand vast amounts of information, far more information than I could ever experience in my legal career on my own. Yeah. All of the information that might have been contained in a 1980s law library of shelves and shelves of books can now be gathered very quickly, mm. can now be investigated very quickly. <clears throat> Is it a threat? I don't think so. I think, I think it's just that the legal profession will have to evolve again yeah. and will need to understand that um, Phase one will be internal, will be the ability to gather information more quickly, lawyers to re carry out research more quickly and to provide more accurate information to clients. But then the clients will begin to think, well, we can do this for ourselves more and more too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a reflection on my industry and obviously what we provide is not, it's not as in-depth, you know, it doesn't require, you can't go to recruitment school for seven years. Um, you probably should. I think we're going to have a better time. Um, but it's always been the same thing. And, and I, th I think what I wanted to build towards is this question about, about culturally, is society's business going to adapt quick enough to even accept that? Because if I've got a huge legal problem from my firm, I'll be honest, I'm going to want you to turn up. I'm not going to want you to go just plug it into the algorithm over there and, and, and our language model will return some answers because it's 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 about trust and do you think to a certain extent there's an argument to say the speed at which we can develop is just the speed at which people will accept you know an, an, an AI generated answer to a legal problem yeah I do I do think that and we see other examples of that less offensively I suppose societies that preparedness to travel in cars without being driven, where mm. cars are self-driving, is developing 
30 years ago, none of us would have thought that we would trust a car to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see, we understand there are railways around the world where there is no driver and nobody thinks anything about that, where we, we are transported at high speed from destination to destination in ways that once would have been frightening. Mm. Most aircraft take off and land, they've got a pilot in the seat, but it's fully automated. So I do think society will change. I think as generations come through, that preparedness to accept advice from the professions in ways that don't involve actual human interaction will um, will be accepted. We, we held an event. We were delighted to welcome Richard Suskin to come and speak for us a, a month or so ago. And he was asked a question on this, on this topic. I'd, I'd just like to refer to it and acknowledge his response. The, uh, one of the audience um, made this point. Well, when will society ever tolerate um, a robot carrying out brain surgery? Because isn't that actually the ultimate piece of surgery? Aren't you going to want a human being? Yeah. Aren't you going to trust a human being to do that? And his response was, well, up until the point that the robot proves that it becomes more reliable than yeah. a human surgeon, yeah. at which point, why would anybody want a human surgeon? Mm. And that's the, that will be the pivot point. At some point in the future, the professionals will have to understand more and more of what they do can be delivered more reliably by software, mm. by AI. But I agree with you. I think that humans will always be required to, de- to deliver the most comforting advice. Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a fascinating intersection with business and technology in that, you know, in my role, we're the trusted advisor. And I also know that we're the, we're the intermediary. So there's, there's plenty of times where we can pick up the phone and it's an important role that 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 person in the middle that can give the impartial advice and can kind of you know you can also shout and scream at a person and sometimes that's an important part of the process um <laughs> Joe, i so agree with that and i'm going to agree with you i completely agree with that because because professional services whether it's insurers with their customers or lawyers with their clients Building a personal relationship is so much more than just dispensing the advice. Having the conversation, understanding their pressure, um, getting to know them personally, building a long-term professional relationship. These are things that will never, I don't believe, these will never be replaced by, no. by computers because we, we're social beings. We, mm. we, we demand social interaction. Mm. And uh, chat, GBT is not going to go and do the business development piece for me either. So we'll still, still have no, a role. No, or will it? I mean, what, what does that look like? Um, I, I, it's a fascinating world that we're diving into. Um, what's the kind of slate forward f- for you um, in, the, in the innovation piece? Um, actually, no, before, I've, I've suddenly realized that you're the, you're the liability expert. I don't, I, I don't know if I can put you on the spot and talk about this. What is that going to mean for regulated industries trying to use things like large language models, because presumably that opens up a huge liability piece. And if they're building products, then there's a product liability. If they're dispensing it as part of the professional services, there's a, there's a, there's a, is that something you happen to really actively look into and, and how does that apply? And it comes back to this, this concept of black box and white box. Right. So black box solutions, mysterious, unknown, alluring, apparently correct, but there's no way really of knowing, even if you check. Mm-hmm. And ask it the system to tell you if it's telling you the truth, it will say yes, I'm telling you the truth. There's no way of knowing. So black box solutions create real problems, plagiarism. Where's the data going? 
where's the data being fed to? Where's it being drawn from? Significant regulatory problems. So yeah, at the moment, I, I think there's a significant problem and risk for industries that are regulated around data and privacy and compliance and confidentiality. Mm. White box solutions where um, GPT type software is being developed in a quarantine zone where data can't leak, where the solutions are explicable, um, can be tracked, where the data is secure. That's the answer at the moment. Mm. So that is the solution I think certainly the Kennedy's is driving. Because there must be, I was just thinking, you may, may not know this at all, but um, there must be precedent with black box trading has happened on the financial markets for you know years now. Um, but we've already had you know, the flash crash and things like that have happened um, where it's been at fault and people have lost money. Um, I'm, I'm asking if it's your legal help, but you may not know, but has there been cases where people have brought charges against the use of those? Uh, do you know? That's not what I feel like. No, I was going to say, I was just wondering. I know it's not in your area, but it's intriguing because there must be a precedent there of people using AI and, and actually it has gone wrong. And I'm, I'm intrigued to think about. Well, we're, um, we're aware of the it's publicized this case in New York where, mm. where um, uh, a plaintiff attorney, I think it was an aviation case, yeah. um, had asked GPT, a GPT model, to provide um, case law precedent which answered the defense team's defense. And the model produced, I think it was six cases uh, with citations and references and detailed analysis, um, and they were all made up. Wow. And one of them was so perfect that um, the attorney asked the system, is this, is this real? To which the system said, yes, it, it is. And we know this because he had, he had to file an affidavit to the court to explain um, what had happened. And so the, the actual exchange with GPT is listed. It's worth looking at. But the model basically assured him it was accurate and then assured him also that all of the cases could be found on well-known legal databases. They, it was completely made up. So yeah, there is there is there is precedent growing of there are examples growing of um, professional services coming unstuck. But that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, that, that that's someone one that's wild, but someone would trust their career on, on a publicly available uh, ML. Um, presumably, the, the the fight going forward is, is is exactly that: everyone developing their own models, and it will be like, how good is your model? And essentially, mm -hmm. your your unique IP is what you're going to build into that. Um, so the Kennedy's business has a unique set of information and IP that it can build its own model from, and then yes. and then you're trusting that specific um, yeah, AI than some globally used consumer consumer grade AI. Absolutely right. That is quarantined and mm. separate and secure, where data can't leak out and can't leak in. That's exactly the model. Taking things forward um, for your role in innovation, um, I mean, we're, we're midway crashing through this year, it feels like. I, I swear uh, I blinked yeah, it just started. Um, what's on the agenda for the next 12, 18 months? Are there, are there any specific software launches that we can look forward to from Kennedy's or any specific innovations that, 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 that are going to come to the fore? Um, the next six months. So we have a series of, um, as well as the, the IQ platform and a series of tools that we're actively selling now, we've got I think we're up to 35 insurers are um, are using the software and services from the IQ platform currently. That will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. We are scaling. So that's a key part of we've brought, a, again, a direct sales force in. 
um, which is novel um, for the first time <laughs> because we've been relying on our internal sales team, basically our partnership sure. to, to in, make the introductions. Um, we have a head of marketing who's come in now who, who will deal with website matters for us. So we're beginning to scale in a much more inverted commas professional way because we recognize it's a standalone business. Mm. We also have three smart projects that are being developed away from the platform that already exists and the products that we're, we have um, that are deployed by clients. And these are certainly deploying AI, um, predictive outcomes, um, valuation tools, um, looking at uh, underwriting solutions as well as claim solutions. So we're beginning to stretch mm. the, the direction that we're taking. That will, they will come to the fore in the next 12 months. And is that, that's an interesting stretch in the direction, particularly into the underwriting arena. Is that simply, again, just talking to the client base and that's what they're, that's what they're asking for? Yeah. Um, so again, our intellectual innovation team, they spend time with C-suites at, at our insurance clients. That's a two-way benefit because we become stickier, we get to know the clients better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the clients gain an understanding of, of our thinking and can use that at that level to begin to develop new ways of developing their strategic thinking too. Um, so yeah, by listening to those clients, we've understood that there are key drivers for underwriters that they need to focus on, but we'll build product around that. It's probably too early for me to say what, what that is. Yeah, no, exactly. It's always difficult to ask people to renovate exactly what's happening. Yeah. Lots of exciting things, but I can't tell you. Um, Richard, you've been very generous with your time. I could talk to you um, all day about this stuff, but um, you probably charge by the hour and I can't afford you. So um, we'll have to call it time there. But thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Well, next time there'll be a virtual me and it'll be much easier. <laughs> <laughs> so.